Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we're going to be talking about children's memories of previous lives and hopefully, in my opinion, scientific proof of reincarnation. As I say scientific proof, I have Dr. Jim Tucker here who probably flinched at proof, (laughs) the word proof. Uh, Dr. Tucker is the Bonner-Lowry Professor of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia. He's a director of the UVA Division of Perceptual Studies, where he is continuing the work of Ian Stevenson with children who report memories of previous lives. He is the author of Before, Children's Memories of Previous Lives. It's a new two-in-one edition of his books, Life Before Life and Return to Life, which together have been translated into 20 languages. And welcome to the show, Jim Tucker. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) Thanks very much for having me. Good. I am so glad you're here because reincarnation, everybody wants to know, is this my only shot? Am I coming back? (laughs) But let's start with the scientific part, because that is a very important part to me. And can you start telling us about your mythology, methodology, sorry about that, (laughs) and evidence versus proof in science? Let's bore our audience at the beginning, and then we'll get in the good stuff. <laughs> well, I'll see if I can avoid the boring part. Okay, but, good, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so the methodology comes from Ian Stevenson. He was my mentor, and he was a uh, psychiatrist who's actually chairman of the Department of Psychiatry here at UVA when he became intrigued by these reports of kids talking about past lives and started investigating uh, eventually actually stepped down as chair of the department to focus full-time on this work. Uh, and that was in the early 1960s, and we've been going ever since. Uh, so we've now studied over 2,000 cases. And what it involves is very young children who spontaneously start uh, saying that they remember a past life. And, and these kids are all over the world. Um, and what Ian started doing and what we continue to do is to try to determine as much as possible exactly what the child has said about a past life. And if they give the right details, then we try to see if, in fact, somebody lived and died whose life matches what they're saying. Um, Some of these kids will talk with great emotion about various things that happened, often kind of bad things that happen. But if they don't give like names of people or places, it becomes impossible to verify. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are many where they do give enough details where we can verify them. And what we have found is that there are many cases where what the child says uh, turns out matches exactly with somebody who did live and die uh, and often in another place where the uh, the children and their families have never heard of the person before. Um, so these constitute evidence. Uh, like you say, we don't like the word proof because mm-hmm. 
what science typically involves is evidence. I mean, it's accumulating evidence until you make a determination, okay, this is enough evidence, we can say X. So like with medications, for instance, being a psychiatrist, there'll be studies and medications. And if there are enough good studies shown that it works, then people conclude that it works. There's not proof that it works. It's just enough evidence or beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, so that's kind of how we view this, that now, where you say it's beyond a reasonable doubt, of course, is up to the individual observer. Uh, but we have been accumulating evidence for a long time now that, that some young children do have memories uh, of a past life. The American culture seems to push back at this, not, uh, you know, not allow our sciences to really, um, I mean, you must have gotten pushed back at, in, in just, you know, researching this. But we seem, as an American um, culture, we seem to be unable to have this. Well, other cultures, it is part of their norm. And um, so that ended up with a lot of your studies being from other cultures, but you're getting more American culture, more American kids now. Well, that's right. I like, mean, when, when Ian started this work, he went to where he could find the cases, which were typically cultures with a belief in reincarnation, because that's where people talk about the cases uh, and word spreads. And he had associates in different places, you know, India, Thailand, various places looking for cases. Um, now, he did have, he certainly found some American cases, or they found him, um, mm -hmm. but it was a lot easier in Asia. However, with the internet, uh, it's a lot easier for people to find us than there used to be. So, you know, Ian would hear from families where they said, well, 20 years ago, my child talked about a past life. I wish I had known about your work then. Um, now, mm -hmm. of course, they Google it, and they immediately find out that here's this uh, research division at, at a fine university. And if they have questions or concerns, uh, then they email us and, and tell us about their child. Um, as far as the sort of pushback from the American culture, it's interesting how many people are actually open to this. So studies have shown that about a quarter of Americans actually believe in reincarnation. And even 20% of American Christians believe in reincarnation. It's kind of a personal belief, maybe a hidden belief, um, mm -hmm. but it's certainly there in a substantial minority of people. Um, so yes, there are many people in sort of culture at large that would kind of dismiss this work out of hand, but then there are a lot of people who are open to considering it. Does this put you in a position of never having enough evidence in the United States? <laughs> well, the, you know, there's the old line about extraordinary claims that require extraordinary evidence. And what makes this extraordinary for a lot of people is that it really challenges not just religious views, but challenges sort of the scientific worldview, uh, scientific Western science, materialistic, that yeah. matter is all there is. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that refutes all religion. And, uh, you know, the idea that consciousness is just something that kind of happened during evolution that the brain just sort of happens to do. Um, and yet, these cases argue that it's not just something that happens with the brain, but in fact, it happens even without the brain, <laughs> that these, these memories and, and uh, other features seem to carry over after the brain dies, after the person dies, and, and then they show up in, in a child. Mm -hmm. um, 
you have had, let's go to some of the, the um, ones that are American, that uh, you had uh, James, James the Three, I'm going to call him James Three. <laughs> yeah. But now his parents were religious, weren't they? Or Because well, there, you had a number of cases, so I might mix some up. So I apologize. Uh, uh, yeah, and I will say most of the American parents who contact us did not believe in reincarnation before their child started talking about past life. And certainly... Uh, James Leininger, his father in particular, was quite opposed to the idea of reincarnation. Yeah, they, they, mm-hmm. his parents are a Christian couple in Louisiana. Um, and then he started having nightmares and, and then memories of a uh, World War II pilot uh, who was shot down in the Pacific. Um, and I don't know if you want to hear the full sort of story now or... or uh, uh, yeah, 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 tell us sure. a little bit of that yeah. story. I might jump in with some questions, but, okay. you know... Go for yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, this is one that certainly people may have heard about because it's gotten a fair amount of press. But mm-hmm. uh, around the time of his second birthday, he started having terrible nightmares multiple times a week in which he would be kicking his legs up in the air and screaming, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. And um, during the day, he would take his little toy airplanes and say, airplane crash on fire and bam, slam them into the family's coffee table and saw a picture. There were dozens of scratches and dents of just repeatedly airplane crash on fire and bam. And so he looked like, frankly, a kid that had been traumatized, um, but he hadn't been through any plane crashes in this life. And then his, his parents were able to have several conversations with him about this stuff when he was awake. And he said how he had been a pilot uh, who had been shot down by the Japanese. And he said how he had flown from a boat. And when his parents asked him the name of the boat, he said Natoma, you know, which is a pretty odd guess for a U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, But it turned out there was this USS Natoma Bay that was stationed in the Pacific during World War II. Uh, and then when he was two and a half, uh, he, his father had gotten a book about Iwo Jima and, uh, to give to his own father, James's grandfather. And James got his laugh one day as he was looking through it, and he pointed to a picture of Iwo Jima and said, that's where my plane got shot down, uh, which really floored his dad. Uh, and then he learned that, in fact, the Natoma Bay did take part in the Iwo Jima operation. Um, the other thing that James, another thing that James said was mm-hmm. that uh, they asked him, well, he, they would ask him who he was then, and he would always just say me or James. And then one time they asked him who else was there, and he said, Jack, Jack Larson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like you say, when he, would, when he got old enough to draw, he repeatedly drew these uh, pictures of planes or battle scenes, and he would always sign them James Three. And I thought that might be because he was three years old at the time, but his parents said, no, they asked him about it. And he said, I'm the third James, I'm James three. Mm-hmm. So with all this going on, um, his parents did begin to wonder, was he remembering a past life? So his dad went to a uh, Natoma Bay reunion and uh, he learned that, in fact, there had been a Jack Larson on the ship. He, he was looking for Jack Larson's among the war dead, but this Jack Larson had survived the war and was, in fact, even still alive. So mm-hmm. James's dad went and talked with him. And he also learned that there was one and only one pilot from the ship who was 
uh, killed during the Iwo Jima operation. Uh, it's this young man from Pennsylvania named James Houston. Um, so it meant if James Leininger was remembering a past life, it had to be Houston's life. Right. Well, Houston was a junior, which would make James Leininger the third James. <laughs> and uh, James described a lot of details about how he died that matched perfectly with Houston. He said how his plane got shot in the engine, burst into flames, crashed in the water, and then sank. And, and that's exactly what happened with, with um, Houston's. And on the day that he was killed, uh, Jack Larson was pilot of the plane next to his uh, oh. when he got shot down. Um, so there was like a double trauma. Jack Larson also experienced the trauma. Well, that I don't know. I mean, he Jack Larson <laughs> experienced the fact that he lost a friend there. So, yeah, I mean, that yeah. was certainly traumatic. Um, but, you know, this was from a long time ago. Um, and he died in 19, 1940s. And James yeah. was born in 1998. So, you know, we're, we're talking about 50 years. And Jack- there was... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. If Jack Larson was still alive, did James three meet Jack Larson? Uh, yes, I think he did, actually. And he met some of the other uh, veterans from the Natoma Bay. And, and there were some where it seemed that he recognized them. Now, of course, again, it's 50 years between. Right. Uh, but there were they some that... looked quite different. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. We, <laughs> but we all look different after 50 yeah. years. But uh, there were some that he seemed to recognize. And they also eventually, he met James Houston's sister, uh, mm-hmm. who was, I mean, who was elderly at the time. Um, but And they developed actually a nice bond. Um, mm-hmm. And from what... He also talked some about family life before the war. Um, I don't emphasize that part because we don't have written documentation of those statements uh, before Houston was identified. But he had enough details where it convinced James Houston's sister. I mean, she was Mm -hmm. completely convinced that, in fact, James Langer was her brother returned. Now, uh, now I'm getting into a little bit of uh, maybe out of your sphere, but how did that make her feel? You know, I mean, at one point you have closure and you've gone on with your life and incorporated it in, into your life. And now you find out, I don't know what you find out, you know, yeah, well, that your brother's it, it, back yeah. in this other body. <laughs> yeah, you know, families tend to be kind of shocked by, at least here, they kind of mm-hmm. shocked by it, but also kind of intrigued by it. And I think that that applied to her as well. I, I didn't have a chance to meet her. I, I did actually talk with her over the phone one time uh, about some of James's statements, but I didn't have a chance. I, I didn't go into kind of her reaction to it all. But, okay. uh, but you're right, it can be, it can be jarring, obviously. Um, but at Times it can also be kind of comforting to the family. I would, yeah, I wonder. I wonder yeah. which way you'd go. Probably both, you know. Probably. Right. It'll blow your head up and how peaceful to know that your brother's here, back yeah. here again. Yeah, um, and in places where people believe in reincarnation, you still get that same kind of mixture where they're, the previous family, they are often initially kind of skeptical. They want to be, mm-hmm. they want the kid to prove it. Right. Um, but then they then they often will establish a connection and, and feel a real emotional t- attachment to the child. Yeah. Now, that's quite a trauma. Uh, James three was going through, a tr- um, you know, the words better, but a, a trauma that he had experienced. And, and 
couldn't get past, really, at this point. Um, did he carry that all his life, or what happened with that trauma? It's quite the trauma for a three-year-old to be carrying. Yeah, I mean, I mean we... 70% of the cases, the previous person died by some sort of unnatural means. I mean, accident, mm -hmm. murder, suicide, combat, that sort of thing. So a lot of them have these traumatic memories. And fortunately, they tend to fade. And most of the kids, by the time they're six or seven, they have stopped talking about this stuff. Now, some of the, some of the, sometimes the memories are still there. They're just choosing not to talk about them. But, but they almost always at least fade in intensity. Um, I had the opportunity to talk with James Leininger uh, in mm -hmm. the last year or so. And so he's a, a young adult now. So he was born in 1998. Um, and unfortunately, kind of the only thing that he still remembers uh, was uh, the terror of knowing that he was about to die. So I asked him if he had any memories of after the crash and sort of a near-death experience, you know, calm, mm -hmm. peaceful, uh, positive thing floating above spiders. And no, the only thing he remembered was knowing that he was about to die. Which um, is the trauma, which is yeah, a absolutely. total trauma. Yeah. Um, I am going to take a break right now. Then, um, So we're still in the middle of James' life because I have a few more questions to ask. But we'll take a break right now and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit AViewThroughTheVeil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one -one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit AViewThroughTheVeil.com. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, and we're back with Dr. Jim Tucker, who is talking to us about reincarnation, and he's doing it with children's memories of previous lives. We're talking about James Three, the name I give him, although he's he's Leninger. Do I have Uh, the name? Leininger. Leininger. I wasn't even close on that. Sorry about that. Who died in World War II and then as a child remembered it. And it was a trauma. He was a, a young three-year-old going through a terrible trauma of, of remembering dying. And um, you brought him back, or he was brought back. Were you there with him? Brought back to the spot in Iwo Jima where, he, where his plane went down. Yeah, and- no, yeah, I wasn't involved with that. But, yeah, um, he, he went over there to... Uh- to Japan and, and went to the, the likely site of, of where Houston's plane went down. Um, and, and it looked to be, I mean, it was filmed. It was part of a thing for Japanese TV. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked to be quite an emotional experience for him, uh, but it also seemed to be cathartic. I mean, they basically. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of saying goodbye uh, to James Houston and mm-hmm. then, you know, being able to let that go and, and continue on as, as James Leininger. Did that trauma lessen, do you know, after that? Did it start to dissipate and fade away after that experience? Or Well, yes. I mean, it had before then anyway. I mean, he wasn't oh, continuing yeah. to have nightmares at that point. Yeah. But yes, I mean, that seemed to, to create kind of a sense of closure for him where it, it then was, was easier to move on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he didn't continue to be waking up in the middle of the night screaming about what no. a terrible thing yeah um some of these kids you're able to find out too what happens to them after they're able to tell you a little bit about what happens in between life and what have they told you about that or i don't think james yeah. was able to tell you was he? Uh, he did actually a little oh, bit oh he did oh yeah uh, so yeah um well, what he said was, well, one day he came to his dad and said, I'm glad I chose you to be my dad. And his father was asking, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, I saw you and mom uh, in Hawaii at a big pink hotel eating uh, dinner on the beach. And I decided that I wanted to be born to you. And it turned out that James's parents, before he was born, had in fact gone to Hawaii stayed at a big pink hotel and on the last night they had dinner on the beach and mm-hmm. this was this trip was the time when they started trying to conceive uh, they didn't actually get pregnant for another couple of months but that was when the intention started and james seemed to have um, awareness of, of what they were doing uh, and that's not uncommon so about 20% of the kids will talk about memories from between lives. And some Mm -hmm. of them are like James where they're describing observing their future parents, or they may talk about choosing their future parents. Um, Others will go back to when the previous person died and essentially describe a near death experience. So they, they float above their bodies. They may see other entities or, or spirits sort of along the way. Some of them will talk about going to another realm like, heaven the american kids may use the word heaven and and then again some will talk about then coming back and and starting the new life some of them hang around for a while don't they well that's right yeah um i mean there have been cases where uh, there's one little boy who said he um 
sat in a tree basically above where the previous body was dumped, uh, sat in a tree for seven years and, and then followed his future father uh, home one day and, and mm-hmm. decided to be born into that family. That um, sounds so random, I have to say. <laughs> it sounds so random of, oh, you look good. <laughs> well, Maybe that's I'll right. And, you. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's certainly not, if our cases are valid, it's not literally random in the sense that it's not like you can end up anywhere. I mean, at least to come through with intact memories, typically it's um, in the same country and often fairly close by. I mean, sometimes even in the same village or the same family. Uh, so there do seem to be ties of one sort or another uh, that, that lead someone to, to be reborn um, in a particular family or a particular place for the next life. Mm-hmm. But not with James and not with the little boy in the tree. Well, that's right. That, um, you know, with James, you have to wonder, okay, so this guy got shot down over the Pacific in the 1940s. What was he doing for 50 years? And then why right. did he randomly come back, you know, to this couple in Louisiana? And um, we don't have the answer to that question. I mean, it's certainly mm-hmm. interesting to, to think about. I will say that most of the cases are more recent than that. So the, the average interval between the death of the previous person and the birth of the child is only four and a half years. So that we have exceptions or outliers like James's, but, but it's usually quite recent. Um, so, you know, with any pattern, there are going to be variations. Yeah. And we don't know why one person might come back to their grandchild uh, or whoever. And, mm-hmm. and then the next one is hundreds of miles away. Um, we don't know. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, is there any chance that it's, um, it is not a spirit that's, that's going from life to life that, that a kid is actually somehow t- tapping into and, um, a consciousness, a universal consciousness and catching on to an identity. Is there any chance of that? Well, there's certainly a chance. I mean, that, you know, we've, we and other people have kind of explored how to best explain these. And mm-hmm. I mean, the most straightforward explanation is essentially reincarnation, that the child has memories from a past life because he lived that life. Right. Um, but there are other alternatives and, and, um, I mean, the thing is, as you're talking about just sort of connecting with kind of the larger consciousness or getting access to that information, that's certainly different from the child's experience. I mean, they, uh, their experience of it is that they had that life and, you know, they're not just remembering information or, or facts. I mean, it's, it's everything from the it. perspective of things they experienced. Yeah. Um, and then again, we've got these kids with memories of time between lives, including at times verifiable information. So it certainly seems that there has been this living entity that has continued to be able to take in information and then, you know, then shows up in, in the birth of the child. When you said verifiable information from in between life, what is that verifiable information? Well, one would have been an example like James, where, where he gave mm-hmm. information about what his parents were doing oh, that I could then be mean, verified. Yeah. And, and then there are kids who will describe like details from the previous person's funeral or things that the previous family was doing. Uh, and, and those things can also be 
verified. And not all of them hang around. Some of them, they're out of there immediately, and then some do stay. And Yeah, exactly. They, they tell us different things. And, you know, it may well be that we don't all have an identical experience, and, and you know, maybe why should we? And, and it also seems perhaps that some people, some individuals have more control over the process than others. I mean, some describe choosing their next parents. With others, they seem so miserable in the families that they're in. I mean, they're begging to be taken to the previous families that it mm-hmm. certainly doesn't seem like it was their choice. That's got to be pretty traumatizing to their current family to say, oh, you know, I want the old ones back. How's uh, that absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It can be upsetting for a variety of ways. I and mean, I think first and foremost, it's hard to see your child suffering. And, and a yeah. lot of these kids are suffering emotionally. I mean, they're, they're crying, they're begging to be taken to their previous family. Um, but yes, it can also be um, deflating as a parent and sometimes mm-hmm. irritating as a parent for the child to be saying, you're not really my mother. I, my real mother lives somewhere else. Or to say, my last house was a lot better than this one, you know, or yeah. things like that. So the, um, even in places with a belief in reincarnation, often the parents try to get the child to stop talking about the past life. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, not counting where they're born into the same family, do you see a continuity between the lives? Like uh, James loved airplanes, but, but when he came back in, was he afraid to fly or did he have to fly? Or is there a continuity yeah. between the, in these lives? Uh, uh, yes, is the short answer. So a lot of the kids where the previous death, uh, previous uh, life ended violently, uh, 35% of those kids will show an intense fear uh, of the mode of death. So um, um, case where a previous little girl drowned in an accident and then another, a girl was born in another village and it took three adults to hold her down to give her a bath from the time she was an infant. And then wow. when she got old enough to talk, you know, recalled this, this life where she had drowned. Uh, so these phobias are pretty common. And, and also the particular interest in things, you know, in James's case, he didn't have a phobia of planes. He was actually fascinated by them. But this was a pilot, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, he ended in a plane crash, but also presumably he was someone who loved what he was doing. And what we often see in the play is reenacting the previous person's occupation, uh, which in James's case would have been, you know, with the, the toy airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if a child comes back, if, if a child was female in one life and comes mm-hmm. back male, is there, um, are they easily able to change gender? Or is there a gender identification kind of muddle? <laughs> I guess I'm asking. Well, that's a, a very good question. So, yeah, about uh, 10% of our cases, the child describes a past life as a member of the opposite sex. Uh, and many of them show gender nonconformity. So, you know, in the, in the general population, there's kind of gender, uh, gender typical behaviors and sort of stereotypical, really. But uh, little boys do generally tend to prefer playing with trucks, little girls with dolls and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Of course, we can have a lot of discussion about what leads to those behaviors. But, but right. certainly most kids show gender typical behaviors. Uh, but about 3% of 
young boys and 5% of young girls showed gender nonconformity, whereas behaviors that's usually associated with, with the other gender. Well, in the cases of kids who remember a past life as a member of the opposite sex, 80 percent of, of those show gender nonconformity. Uh, so again, there does seem to have been this kind of continuation. Um, and some of those kids will, I shouldn't say outgrow it, but uh, with some of those kids, those behaviors fade as they get older. And then for others, not. Uh, mm-hmm. There's one that Ian studied where um, the little girl, by the time she got, I guess, to middle school, she was forced to drop out of school because she refused to wear the traditional girls' clothing. Uh, She insisted on wearing boys' clothing instead. Um, And and he followed cases long enough where we saw in adulthood, again, sometimes that stuff faded away completely, uh, but then other times it didn't fade away at all. Most of the memories do fade away by, what, age six or seven. It's as if the the veil gets pulled and and they're now squarely in this life. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, um, it's when kids everywhere are starting school, getting fully wrapped up in this life. And it's also around the time that, I mean, all children lose their memories of early childhood um, around that age. I mean, some people retain some, and there are some adults who say they remember, you know, getting their diapers changed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most people, we have almost no memories before you know, the age of five or six. Um, I'm so glad makes, to hear that. I thought it was yeah. just me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. So, so these memories essentially seem to fade at the same time that, that all yeah. early childhood memories do. And the traumas fade with them because most of your, your kids that you're, you're following are traumatized by, a, a, by mm-hmm. an unnatural death in one way or another yeah. or, or an immediate death, right? Right. But not, not heart attack. That's a, an immediate natural death. Well, we do get some of those. I mean, we do, do get some natural deaths. Um, but again, 70% of them are unnatural. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as the trauma continuing, again, it tends to fade as this all does, but it doesn't necessarily disappear. So, you know, there's some kids by the time they're teenagers, then they're no longer afraid of whatever it is, of, of drowning or, or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the mode of death was, snakes, if it's snake bite or whatever. Um, but then there are others where it continues. But, but it's usually less intense anyway uh, than it was when they were little. Yeah. Uh, we had somebody in my family that I was with them and, and uh, uh, somebody dove into the water and her body just shook and she was about, yeah. uh, a, you know, a, year year and a half and she wanted to be in a wood um you know wooden seat she wouldn't come out of that wooden seat huh. <laughs> and finally i had to bring her into the bathroom you know i had to go so i had to bring her in with mm-hmm. me <clears throat> and i ran the water and she said water and i said yeah and i said what about the water and she said drowned and mm. I thought, oh, you got that from TV. And then I saw her face, and I knew she did not get it from TV. Mm. And um, so, you know, we just moved her away from the water. And then later, why, brought her into water. We were a little worried to bring her into water. There was no problem. There was no knowledge. It was gone. It was totally gone. But um, 
Yeah, we never followed that one up. We've got like true Americans. We just backed up. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's Americans. interesting. I mean, there are some kids who will talk about this stuff constantly, but there are yeah. other kids they have to be in the right frame of mind. And for some of them, it's just once or twice. Right. Um, I mean, there's one case that's unverified, but the only thing the kid ever said was one day they were driving down the street or driving down the road, the highway, and the kid said, in my last life, I drove a big truck. And that was the only thing he ever said about it. Right. Um, but there are others where they have accessed it, sometimes like after a bath or something. And we'll talk about it with great intensity, you know, for half an hour or whatever. But then by the next day, they, they it's gone. moved on and it's gone. Yeah, that's right. yeah and that's what it was with her, it seemed to yeah. be. I mean, we didn't really visit it too much, being American, as I said. Yeah. Um, I am going to take a break now. We've been talking about reincarnation and the kids with their memories. And... Um, so we'll be right back in a few minutes to get into this a little bit further. We, I want to visit with your Hollywood guy. <laughs> okay, thanks. We'll take a break now. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. Do you feel that you want more from your life but keep finding yourself in the same spot? It is time to break free from self-defeating patterns and limiting beliefs. Find out more by tuning in to Let's Talk About It with nationally recognized psychotherapist Dr. Jamie Lacey. Learn to create healthy lifestyle choices so that you can be the best you. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you have executive function challenges? Actually, these are a lot more common than you would think. These challenges include time management issues, organization, planning, focusing, memory and problem solving. If this sounds like you, you'll want to check out Focus on Success. With Fazia Costi, you'll hear from professionals that offer advice based on their expertise and provide solutions to improve your life. Focus on Success can be heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, we're back with Dr. Jim Tucker, and we're talking about reincarnation, and he studies children's memories of past lives or previous lives. And we were just talking, actually, on the break, we were just talking about uh, birthmarks and how birthmarks will come through, and as well as experimental marks. And you've studied some of these, these birthmarks that have come through, as Ian did before you. I believe he wrote quite a bit on it. Well, that's right. Ian Stevenson, uh, my mentor, it was really fascinated by these cases where the kids have birthmarks or even full birth defects uh, that match wounds, usually the fatal wounds on, on the body of the previous person. Uh, so, yeah, Ian eventually he spent years studying these cases, eventually wrote a two volume set that had over 200 such cases. Wow. Um, and. Yeah, they included, like he listed 18 cases where the kids were born with two birthmarks, ones that matched both the entrance wound and the exit wound on, on the body of a gunshot victim. Um, and I mean, there are ones like a, a girl who remembered the life of a guy who was murdered and had his fingers chopped off as he was being killed. And, this, and then she was born with very deformed fingers. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of really interesting cases like that. And it's you know, it's an interesting thing. It's not sort of a karma thing where the person who did the killing comes back with those defects as the person who was killed, uh, which right. may not, you know, may not quite seem fair. But it, um, the way that we kind of put it together is that the consciousness was so impacted that mm-hmm. it carried this image with it and then imprinted it on the developing fetus. So then the, the child shows up with a very similar uh, defect. This is pretty rare, right? <laughs> uh, yes, but I mean, the, you know, again, uh, we've studied hundreds of cases. Mm-hmm. And let's say where there's an entry wound and exit wound, whatever it hit on the way through that killed the person, is that a weak point in the person? So let's say if it went through their heart, do they, in this life, will they have heart problems? Well, we don't know the complete answer. I I mean, typically the skin is more involved than anything else. And and it's often the only thing involved, well, not in the defect cases, but often with the birthmarks, it's just the skin. And it it may be that, again, the the image that the, I mean, if these cases are valid, the the image that the consciousness takes with it is more likely to been been imprint on the surface. But there are exceptions to that. So there's actually an American case uh, where the previous person is the grandfather, and he was shot and killed during a, a, a holdup at a, a jewelry store. Uh, anyway, th- this kid was born with a heart defect uh, that matched the injuries that the, the grandfather suffered. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when he got old enough to talk, gave some quite some specific details about the grandfather's life. Um, so it, it can involve more than the skin, but, but often it's, it's just the skin. And we never meet the shooter, do we? <laughs> we never get to hear about anybody who's actually delivered the uh, the fatal blow or, you know, whatever. There doesn't seem to be so much of a trauma on that side. That's true. Although we, I mean, some of the kids do not, uh, some of the kids describe pretty, um, being pretty rough people and doing some bad things. So, yeah, I mean, some of them, of course, some of them get killed too. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, criminals or whatever who, who end up being murdered. But um, it kind of runs the gamut as far as the kind of life uh, and a kind of person that they're describing being in the past life. 
All right. Um, you know, you're bringing me right into karma. I have to go there before we go <laughs> see Marty Martin. Um, <laughs> and and karma, um, you wrote a little bit about karma in mm-hmm. your book and, and actually tried to see some correlation between past lives and this life and, and to see if there was any karmic, as we know karma, any karmic, um, change, you know, uh, connection. And did you find any? Well, I mean, not really. It sort of depends on how broad you want to be with karma. And let me just say, I'm not an expert in, in religious doctrines such as karma. And I know there are a lot of subtleties to it. Um, but certainly, for instance, doing bad things doesn't mean you get a bad next life, you know, born into, I don't know, uh, some horrible situation. Um, but there do seem at times to be some, for instance, personality features that seem to kind of carry over. There are certainly emotional ties that carry over. So in a subtle way, what happened in the past life affects what happens in the next one, but not in a karmic retribution kind of sense, but, but just more in an emotional sense. Mm-hmm. Except for saintly people, from what you said in your book. I want to know what saintly is. <laughs> yeah, and those terms, I mean, we, so for each case, there are 200 variables that we code cases on, and then we put them into the database. And those were developed long before I got here. So the, some of the terms mm-hmm. sound kind of quaint, uh, including w- whether the, the child or the previous person was saintly. Um, so, uh, I mean, if we had to do it over now, we'd pro- there are things like the big five characteristics of personality, and, and we might code for those things. But, uh, but anyway, there, you know, there are um, some signs of, of carryover, but, but, but not super strong. I mean, the, um, regardless of what the past life was, it doesn't seem that you're condemned to repeat it or mm-hmm. you don't come back as with the same personality necessarily, maybe it correlates, but it's certainly not a one-to-one correlation where you're, you're the same person that you were before that that's not the case. It's the child isn't their own individual. Each time. Yeah. Each each time. time. That that is one thing we talked about this a little bit before we were on. Um, If someone has a terrible personality, their life is very difficult. And they were born that way. I, I believe mm. kids are coming in pretty hardwired mm. a lot of time. And um, so if if they have to come back with the same lousy personality, their experience of life is pretty rough. Where if somebody is just charismatic, mm. naturally, um, what a different experience. But you see yeah. the personalities change. Yeah, and uh, Ian Stevenson actually wrote a paper on this, uh, along with a colleague, uh, Jürgen Kyle, making the case that certainly genes as well as environment contribute to personality. And Ian was arguing that there could be this third factor, that there could be past lives that could also contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, we do know that, for instance, the genetics, they have an effect but not an overwhelming effect. I mean, the, the environment certainly has a big effect too. So it's sort of the combination of everything. Uh, and, and he was just arguing that part of that combination is, would be coming from the past life. So in other words, where we look at two things, nature and nurture, he's saying there are three things. That's right. There is yep. a past life. There's, you're bringing baggage with you somewhat. 
Yeah, so you're you're not just a clean slate, even beyond the genes, but you know, not just a clean slate with the personality, but but there is this carryover uh, that affects how the personality develops. Mm-hmm. Um, in in other cultures, not it doesn't seem to be so much in in the United States, but in other cultures, uh, a lot of kids are reborn back into their own families. So they'll come back as um, maybe their grandfather or something like that. And you've studied those. And in some cases, they use what's called experimental uh, birthmark. Right. So that, that's, a, that's a term that Ian coined. Uh, there are several places in Asia where after somebody dies, people will sometimes mark the body and say a, a prayer or make a wish that they carry the mark with them to their next life so that they can be identified, uh, often with the thought that it'll be in the same family. Uh, and then sometime later, usually a pretty short time later, uh, a child is born with a mark that matches the mark that was made on the body. The child is born with a birthmark. Uh, so yeah, Ian studied a couple of dozen cases of those. A colleague and I studied 18 more. And Sometimes, not always, but sometimes the child then seems to have memories of that life as, as they get older. Uh, and, and sometimes the marks are, um, I mean, they're, unfortunately, the people don't tend to be very creative in the way they make the marks, but uh, there are, <laughs> you know, some that are, are quite prominent mm-hmm. and um, raise interesting questions about how that mark got there. Um, yeah, my, my feeling is it's not literally this substance on the skin, but more just the practice of doing it and the sort of the, the will of the, the person marking it, uh, of creating this consciousness effect where, where then it shows up in, in the child down the road. You also have the problem then of, of identifying the child and the fact that they've the family has seen the mark and maybe told the kid, oh, you're your grandfather or well, that's you know, right. I mean, tainted your science. Exactly. I mean, those are not the strongest cases uh, because of that potential contamination that the child has mm-hmm. the expectations and it's given information about the previous person and then, you know, perhaps becomes convinced they, they were the, the grandfather or whoever reborn when in fact uh, it was just all kind of created by the people around them. Uh, right. So, you know, when you get an American case in particular where no one's even thinking about past lives and then certainly no one's expecting a particular person from hundreds of miles away. But, you know, the, when the child then has memories of that life, I mean, it's much more impressive than, than with one of these same family uh, birthmark cases. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming close to the end and I'm going to squeeze Marty Martin in there. <laughs> All right. And uh, So if you want to tell us a quick version of sure. what happened with Marty Martin. Yeah, so we do Ryan, have a few minutes. I don't okay. mean to <laughs> yeah, rush me too much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Ryan is was this uh, little five year old boy in Oklahoma when his mom wrote us and said that for the last year he had talked about a life in Hollywood and, and would beg her to take him back to, to that life in Hollywood. Um, so she got a couple of books out of the library to about Hollywood to kind of help him process all this. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them had a picture from an old movie and he pointed to one of the guys in the picture and said, that's who he had been in his past life. And it was an extra with no lines in the movie. So his mom wrote to me to see if, if I could help figure out who this was. 
Uh, so I met with Ryan and, and his parents, and um, then his mom was emailing me sometimes on a daily basis with all these statements that Ryan was making. Uh, eventually, we were able to determine who this was because a, a Hollywood archivist went to the library of the Academy of Motion, uh, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, got all the information about this old movie, most mm -hmm. of which is about the stars. But then there's this one picture of this guy, Marty Martin, uh, who was the one that Ryan had pointed to. And it turned out that um, all these things Ryan was saying about the past life matched with Marty Martin. So Ryan said how he had danced on stage in New York and Marty Martin danced on Broadway. Uh, Ryan said that he then went to Hollywood and worked in movies, which Marty Martin did work mostly on dance and movies. Ryan said that he then worked at an agency where people changed their names and Marty Martin started a successful talent agency. Uh, Ryan said he had a big house with a swimming pool and the street address had the word rock or mount in it. And Marty Martin had a big house with a pool on North Roxbury. Mm. And then Ryan also said one time that he didn't know why God would let you get to be 61 and then make you come back again as a baby. Well, Wait a did he get that answer? Did anybody get that answer? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Marty Martin's death certificate said that he was only 59, but his family said he was 61. And then I found census records and marriage listings that all gave ages that meant, in fact, Marty Martin was 61 when he died. So even though the death certificate said 59, uh, Ryan was correct when he said 61. And altogether, we were able to confirm that 55 of Ryan's statements match with Marty Martin's life. That's amazing. And then you brought him, Ryan to meet Marty Martin's family. And I think his daughter, right? And uh, that's right. Uh, now, she was only eight when he died in 1964. So, mm -hmm. you know, she's obviously changed a lot. And right. yeah, we first did that when Ryan was five. And, and to be honest, it was a really awkward meeting. He, he seemed sort of overwhelmed by it all. Right. Um, but then he, he was able to enjoy it like he visited Marty Martin's old office and so forth and was able to enjoy things. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and that has often happened where uh, uh, more so in the aging cases, but where the child does meet the previous family and sometimes establishes relationships with them. Mm -hmm. And you can see through that uh, a familiarity with objects or, you know, things that were theirs in the past. I have a quick question. Is Ryan in acting now or doing uh, something completely different? Not acting, but he's very interested in film, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's a teenager now. And he's still got time to decide all that. But, yeah, he, he's certainly interested in, in filmmaking. Does he still have the memories? Not really. They've pretty much faded at this point. Right. Okay. Well, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for being on the show. But I want to make sure that people can get hold of you, especially if they have kids that are exhibiting, uh, telling tell them about their past life. And basically, they like that family better. <laughs> you know, I think you even have something on your website for parents that are a little traumatized themselves on this, but how do people get hold of you? Yeah. So there's Jim B. Tucker, uh, MD, uh, is one option. Um, but there's also the UVA website. If you just Google Jim Tucker, you'll find the UVA website. There's a column for parents and then they can also email us. 
Okay. And if they have this going on, they can uh, come to you and say, yes. yep. yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for new cases. Okay. And if you aren't looking, you have something to ha- to give them to help them live with this or get through this or maybe ha- take care of the kid. Yeah. Well, yeah. We start, we've got a column of, of advice on our uh, website for, for parents. Right. Right. And are there any groups out there like near death experience groups? Are there any groups for parents or uh, kids? Uh, no, this? no, actually they're, they're on not. their own. Huh? Yeah. But fortunately, <laughs> again, it usually fades. So yeah, things are okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, Jim, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I've got a million more questions that I can <laughs> ask. But uh, I do appreciate it. It has been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. And if you need to get hold of me, you can get me at a view through the veil at gmail.com or a view through the veil.com. Thanks. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.